John chapter 10 is where we're going to focus on this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, John chapter 10. I don't know if this is too loud or too soft. If it's too loud, I'll back up. If it's too soft, tell me to scoot up. Either one, I can handle. Uh, but John chapter 10, I get kind of loud too, so just in case you need to fix it. John chapter 10, we're going to look at one verse, and it is verse 10. So John 10, 10. I just want to read it to you in um, first. I'm going to read it to you in New King James, and then I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Version. Two verses, oh, same verse, but two different versions. I want you to listen to this. It says, A thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I, this is Jesus, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Listen to the Passion Version. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. One thing. This is what the enemy's mindset is. This is what he has bent on since you, long before you woke up this morning, he was already working. Whether you choose to accept it or whether you choose to acknowledge it, he's already working. A thief has only one thing in mind. This is what he wants to do. He wants to steal. He wants to slaughter and he wants to destroy. That's his aim. But Jesus says, I have come to give you everything in abundance. More than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. That's the offer on the table. That's the offer that he is offering us on the table today is life more abundant. He says more than you can even expect. Paul continues that same kind of talk, don't he? Doesn't Paul say something very similar? That he says that his expectations for us are greater than you can even imagine or that you can even fill up in your imagination. Paul talks about we need some new eyes. We need some new lenses so that we can see how big, how wide, how much his plans for you is for abundant life. So let's pray. God, you are so good. You are so kind. In fact, you are better than we think. You are better than we acknowledge gather here to acknowledge you are good. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may see clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. So think about that. Think about that there is life and life more abundant. Don't we talk about that in Sunday school sometimes? Right? We talk about that sometimes in our little devotionals or sometimes you'll see Facebook posts. I don't know if some of you got Facebook or not. Um, if you do um, and you're older, you can go ahead and delete it because it's already phasing out. So, um, you know, to the next thing. Um, but you'll see people post those things like God is good or we use cliches like God is good, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? But do we really believe that? 
You see what I'm saying? Like we use cliches and we'll say things like that. We even make bumper stickers or we put on shirts and we'll say, God is good. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. But actually, do our faces show that? <laughs> when we walk around, is that what people acknowledge? Because in, in four of the prophetic Old Testament books, it talks about that the world is going to know, and then Jesus even mentions it, that the world is going to recognize him whenever we get it together. Did you know that? But so much of our theology, so much of our eschatology, I guess I should say, is that we're just waiting on him to return to come and fix it. Now, that is, that's true and that's a good thing. But you've got a job to do while you're waiting. And that job is not to just sit down like this, God's good. God's good all the time. All the time. God's good. You tell me if your neighbor believes you when you say it like that. Like, if that's true, then somebody needs to tell your face, right? And, and so we have this abundant life that is offered to us, right? So let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been let down? Right? Been let down? Um, got your hopes up, right? And then it's like phew, carpet jerked up from under you. Ever happen, right? How many times have you ever done that and you blame God for it? Now, none of us want to be honest. <laughs> now, we in the church, he sees you. All right, thank you, thank you, one person, right? I think we've all done it. And one way or another, we blame God. Um, it's his fault, right? If God is sovereign, then he allowed it to happen. Why did he allow it to happen? We have all these things that we want to point towards him, right? And we have all these things and all um, this, these feelings and these emotions that we get together into our hearts, our soulless realm, that we use that towards him because somehow, in some way, his offer to us was good, but yet we are not seeing it. So we will still go to church, we will still say he is good, but now all of a sudden, what's in our heart and what's in our emotions and what's in our soulless realm begins to come out on our facial expressions. Amen. And so we're living a lie. So it's okay to be honest. It's okay to say, hey, I was let down. It's okay to say, hey, I blame God for that. But it's not okay to stay there. Do you hear what it says? It's not okay to stay there because his offer is still life. His offer is still life abundant for us. I've been let down numerous times. Numerous times I have been let down. And sometimes even wanting to blame God for those things. That pretty lady that's out there struggling to keep all 42 of our children in line. Um, we had not long, we had known each other for a year and we kind of had tried to date for a second or two. <laughs> She said it was all my fault that I just wasn't ready. Um, but right by the time that we decided uh, we're going to do this, um, because I had already decided, like, I, I don't know. In my mind, I didn't want to date unless I was going to marry, right? And so I'd already been burned, and it's like, ain't no woman finna do that to me again, right? So I finally, like, let go and say, I'm going to do this, right? And so now I'm all in. And right when I'm all in, she calls me one evening, crying, and says, you know how my leg's been hurting a lot. They did some tests, and they think I have bone cancer. And I was like, 
Seriously, God, like we've been talking about this for a solid year. Like off and on, like should I, should I not, should I, should I not. And when I finally say, okay, I'm going to let myself get into this relationship again. I'm going to give 100%. I could see myself marrying this person, so let's try it. And this is what you're going to do to me? You're going to take her from me seriously after all of this, after we've talked to her and discussed this for a year? It's not like I'm just going into this, like, oh, on a whim and saying, hey, she looks good. She's hot. Let's just go with it, right? It wasn't what it was. That wasn't what it was. It was like I had seriously prayed about this. And so, long story short, we, um, she was 19 at the time, and for that kind of cancer, they take you at St. Jude, so off we go to St. Jude. And I remember sitting in that hospital, and I was fasting, wasn't eating. Um, and fasting and praying and believing. And what I began to do was not what people were telling me, because everybody had their own opinion, right? O'Brien, oh, God's sovereign, blah, blah. All these churchy answers, right? But it wasn't the answer I wanted to hear because he, the, some of the scriptures I had read had promised me life and I wasn't seeing it and I wanted to know why. So what did I do? I went in there and I dug in and I dug in and I dug in and I dug in. But more than just digging in here, I also started talking to him, digging in, digging in, digging in. Why do I not see this? Why am I not experiencing what your promise says. If your promises are true, which your word even says your promises are true, right? Like, real conversation. This is not some lay me down to sleep tonight, Lord, kind of prayers where we just repetitious, say some prayers, hoping that he's going to sling something up there and he's going to finally hit one out of the park for me. This is like serious talking. Like, I'm angry. I'm aggravated. I want to know some answers. And that's where our journey began for me. It's where a journey begins for me to want to know and to understand who this God really is, right? And if His offer to me really is life, then how do I experience that life? Because obviously it doesn't just happen, right? I think we all can attest to that. We've all probably, even those little children there, have lived long enough to be let down about something. They didn't get that sucker that they wanted. <laughs> They've been let down about something, I guarantee you, Right? And so we all, these little things, so those are big things, but even little things such as from the time that we're born, right? We don't get the thing that we wanted. My oldest son yesterday said, Daddy, you know what I need? I said, I know what you don't need. I said, it may be something that you want, not something that you need. And so we've all been let down by those little things. So these little nagging things eat at our heart as well. But then these big things happen to our life. And then we really, like, where'd you go, God? You abandoned me, right? You ever felt abandoned? Because sometimes when we have these emotions, we'll feel abandoned by God. Either he's not coming through, or sometimes we just get a, a little bit of mixture of both of those things. Obviously, it worked out because she's still here, right? That was in 2001, I think, or 2000. I can't remember. So, she's back there saying what's up. I was right for But it wasn't easy in any of that. Lots of surgeries, right? 
So God healed her of the cancerous part, and it ended up she blew the minds of all those Indian Arabian doctors over there who were smarter than their degree. And she had, um, it was what they called a giant cell benign tumor, which ate up all her bone. Um, and so when it did that, she had to have several surgeries. She had to have lots of surgeries, and it was over several years of surgeries that she had. And she still has problems with it today. So even when we got an answer that, yes, she's not going to have to go through chemo, she still had to go through lots of surgeries. She still had to go through lots of things. So still there was questions like, all right, if you can heal her like this much, why didn't you heal her completely? So we don't have to go through all this. So what did it keep me doing? I got to go back, figure this out, right? Sometimes we even do that and we think, what are we doing wrong, right? Like, I started reading all this, and so then I started asking Julie, what have you not repented of? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Joe. What have you not repented of? There's got to be something because, I mean, he got you a little bit, but we, need, we want total freedom, right? So then I had to go back to the word again. I realized that is not who he is. He is not, he wasn't punishing her over something on me. To realize that he is good, to know that he is good, is to surrender completely to what his word says about him. In fact, in John 14, 1, Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry or surrender to your fear. You believed in God, now trust and believe in me also. Key word there says, don't surrender to your fear. You see, we have the ability to surrender to the fear that the enemy puts in us. What did the verse start off with today? The enemy wants one thing. Steal, kill, destroy. That is what he wants to do. That is his number one priority. Well, guess what realm he operates in? Fear. Right? Fear is where he operates in. And so he says, do not surrender to your fear, but surrender basically saying, I'm surrendering to you. And understanding and believing. Trust is a place of rest. When the Bible talks about being at rest, it's talking about your soulless, your heart realm. From your heart, we're going to look at that. But where your heart is, that's where the person is, right? So from that place, all life flows. And so from that place, from that central place, He wants you to surrender to Him and His promises, not to the enemy. Right? Because the enemy is going to whisper what kind of words to you? Not just sweet little nothings. They are, really, but it's whispering lies to you. He's the father of deception. He's the father of lies. And guess what? When you surrender to that lie, guess what it does? It empowers the light. It empowers the light. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take, what does it say? Anybody know? Heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. So how do we notice these things? Notice he is trying to get you to notice that it is a battle for your heart because he wants you above all things to take what? Heart. Understanding that this is the place where this comes from, right? And so... Paul says in Ephesians, he says, we need eyes to see. He says, I pray that God would illuminate your eyes. 
your understanding of what God's way really is like. The kingdom way is really like. Notice when Jesus... Does, what, anything Jesus do makes sense to the human brain. Think about it. What kind of stuff did He do? Who spits in the mud and puts it on somebody's eyes? Bro, you can't even breathe on nobody right now. They, they'll think you're giving them some kind of disease. Right? And He spits in the mud. And then puts it on the man's eyes. Who does that kind of stuff? Right? So it looks like what they call an upside-down kingdom. Paul says we need new eyes if we're going to see this kingdom correctly because we were born with a nature that wants to see the world with our five senses, what we can taste, what we can see, what we can touch. We want those senses to guide our every decision whenever in all actuality it is the kingdom of God's way that should be guiding our way. That's why he says, I'm going to send somebody. He said, it's better for me to go away. If it's better for me to go away because I'm going to send my direct DNA to be placed inside of you, and then he's going to teach you and he's going to show you. That's why it's so important the Holy Spirit is inside of me. Not just so that I can get to go to heaven one day. Like that's the icing on the cake part. He's in me. For me, right, to change me from the inside out so that I see the way he sees, but he's also upon me so that I can do the works that he has called me to do. So it's very important the Holy Spirit be in me, but one of the things the Holy Spirit is in me for is that my eyes of my heart be illuminated so that I can see exactly the way God sees. Okay? So how do we notice these things? One thing is... The Word of God. How do we get into the Word of God? We have to let Word, again, be more important than those five senses. Because when it came down to it, what do I want to believe? I want to believe what the doctor said. I want to believe everybody around me was saying, Brian, you just got to get used to this. Brian, you just, you're going to have to eat. Brian, you're going to have to do this. So many voices. But there was one voice that was saying, just trust me. It was a still, small voice. Everybody else's voice was loud. His voice is a still, small voice because Jesus said the kingdom is within. And you have to listen from within what the Holy Spirit is teaching and what He is saying to you. You remember the time that Jesus calmed the storm and rebuked the storm? Where was He at before He did that? Where? Sleep! Don't we think he's that way sometimes with our problems and our trouble? In Mark chapter 4 is a very interesting um, story. But just for summary purposes, because Julie says I preach too long, so I try to make a couple of notes today to keep me on task so I don't ramble and not keep you here till 3 this evening. So I'm not going to read it to you, but I will just, just want to give you a taste of it just real quick. Is that okay? In Mark chapter 4, remember, he's giving the seed and the sower. Remember that? He's talking about casting all that seed out. And he says, the ones who believe in this, he says, there will be a 30-fold, there will be a 60-fold, there will be a 100-fold. Okay? Of the ones that are believing the seed that is being passed out. The seed means being the Word of God. So there is different levels of what it could actually happen in the kingdom based off of the level that you're believing, according to Jesus' 
sermon there in Mark chapter 4. It says immediately whenever they got through doing that, they got in the boat. And Jesus said when they got on the boat, let's go to the other side. Now Jesus is asleep. And the first thing they do is they wake him up and say, don't you even care about us? Now what do we do? The first sign of the storm. Are you listening? Don't you even care? Where have you been? And Jesus wakes up and says, where have you been? <laughs> says immediately he rebukes the storm again. If he rebukes something, it's not of him. Did he cause the storm? According to that scripture, did he cause the storm? Yes or no? No. Okay. So, just want to clear that up. He rebukes it. Remember, Jesus said he is a house divided, cannot stand. So, it's not of him. He rebukes that storm and immediately turns to him and says, Why did you doubt? Where is your faith? Now, I want you to think about something. Were they in a problem? Yes or no? Were they in a problem that seemed bigger than them? Yes. And did they... What is prayer? Talking to God. Did they talk to God just then? Jesus is God in flesh. Did, did they just talk? Did they talk to Him? Yes or no? They talked to Him. I like feedback, so y'all got to... He talked to God. They talked to God. Right? Asked him to do what? Please help. And what did he do? He asked him, where's your faith at? Now most of us would consider it very faithful of a person if they pray to God in a bad circumstance. Don't we say those are faithful people? Then why did he ask them, where's your faith? What did he tell them when they got on the boat? Going to the other side. And what they did? They doubted that they were going to make it. Do not surrender to your feet. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So the word says the offer is life in John 10, right? So if we're going to believe word over circumstance because that's not what they did and they got rebuked for it, right? So we need to get to a place where we're believing word. The word of God has to be stronger than our circumstance, okay? So we have to believe it. We have to get into that way. So if John 10 is correct and it's not a verse out of context and I want to prove that to you because Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of Life. What's the offer right there? Life or death? Life. Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's Psalm 1611. So what was the offer in that one? Life. In him, John 1 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Is the offer from him life or death? John 5, 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Is the offer life or death? Acts 5, 20, go stand in the temple. He's, he's telling them what to do and speak to the people all the words of this new life. Is this about life or death? Now I know what you're thinking. I can read mine. 
I, Brian, that's talking about when you die and you go to heaven. You know, when you live forever. Everlasting life. Hadn't you read John 3.16? Yes, I have. And it says that you have eternal life. And in John 17.3, Jesus says, what is eternal life? Because he knew that we were going to get some things messed up. And he wanted to give us the definition. And John 17.3 says, what is eternal life? And he says, it is to know him intimately. So is the offer for life today or when you die? Because if it's the offer is life when you die, guess, guess who had the victory? Jesus or death? So who's offering life here? Death or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus is the one that's offering life to us. So turn to your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, that was my introduction. I'm just kidding, sort of. Sort of. But Psalm 27, I do want to read this. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me, to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. So he is setting up the stage for some bad circumstances, right? And he says, even though this happened, didn't Jesus say, in this world you will have trouble, but what? Take heart. Take heart. And so he's saying, my heart here, the psalm is saying, my heart's not going to fear. Even though these bad circumstances, even though these bad things are coming around me, I will not fear. And he says, verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, guess what? New Testament. Paul says we have a better covenant now. Guess why? Where's the temple now? Is it in <coughs> temples made by hands? No. Where is it? Joe? Joe. Right there. Right there. It's within. The kingdom of God is within. Right? And so he's saying now he is dwelling here. He come to dwell in us, to be in us. He is the river of life. He is the river that is flowing with streams of life. And He lives inside you. Paul says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives. That word is dwell. Meaning He doesn't come and go as He pleases anymore. He stays in you. Now it's up to us to recognize it. To believe it. But He's there. Verse 5, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So every time you're seeing that about the tabernacle, guess what? You can do that all the time. Didn't Jesus tell the woman at the well this? The woman at the well was like, so... I know you Jews got this thing where y'all got this temple. Where are we going to worship? He said, later there coming a time and it is now that all people will worship me in spirit and truth. Wherever they are. Wherever they are. Right now. 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my, what said? Heart. My heart said. See how it's the central of the being? The heart is. My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Now listen to this. I would have lost heart, the centrality of your being. I would have lost heart unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in the here and the now. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Oswald Chambers has an interesting thought about the heart here. He says, the Bible term heart is best understood if we simply say, me. That's the heart. It is your central of yourself. He said it's the central part of the man's personality. The heart is the altar of which the physical body is the outer court. And whatever's offered on the altar of the heart will tell ultimately through the extremities of the body. That's why I said our souls are speaking a, bit, a different word than when we say he's good. Because our face will tell it. Because from here... It's going to go to the outer court. This is the inner court of the sanctuary, right? We get this, this picture in the Old Testament. He gives us all this so that you will know in the New Testament how you really are made. This is your inner court. He's talking about and what's in that inner court is going to come out to the outer court, okay? So just real quick, throw a couple of verses at you about the heart. Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there your what will be also. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your Psalms 119, 11, your word I've treasured in my Matthew 5, uh, 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but they are far from me. So in other words, their center of their being was far from him. Like we can say these words. We can say that we uh, that he is good or we can say, um, uh, I know he's got this, but do we really believe it? Are we like the psalmist here that says, I would have lost hope if I wouldn't have believed I would see this in the land of the living, right? So what happens is we are at a world at war, right? Didn't I say when you woke up this morning, he was already at work? But guess who else was already at work? He's not bigger than God. In fact, he's not even his opposite. A lot of times we say, well, the devil is his opposite. No, he can't be his opposite because God created him. He's just a manipulator. He's good at a ma manipulating. But he is at work against your heart. That is the war, is against your heart. Because if he can take your heart out, guess what? He's taking you out completely. It is yourself. That is who you are. So if he's taking your heart out, and he does it a little at a time, with these little doubts, with these little fears, with these little incidences in life, right? And so much we chalk up to God's sovereignty that... It happened. So it must have been God's will. 
Now, I could, we don't have time. It's already after 12. But I could take you through several verses where God's will didn't happen in an instant. Is it God's will that all be saved? Are all coming to know Him today? So does God's will happen every exact time? Does it? No. He's in control. And when I say that, I say that loosely. He's in charge. But guess what? If we wasn't free will beings, how could we love Him? He doesn't want a bunch of puppets that He makes love Him. The offer is life. But you have a choice. The offer on the table is life. But you have a choice. And so we look at a world that we want to complain about and say the government's gone to pot and the world gone to pot and I can't believe all these people won't wake up and God just needs to come down here and whoop the stink out of all of them and take us home. Isn't that His will? His will is for us to get up off of it. Start believing this to be true. And then live in that life abundant. Because if those four things that I'm talking about, those four different prophetic books in the Old Testament, then plus Jesus, then John in Revelation says when the bride gets ready, that He's coming. Well, from what I can tell, the way Jesus describes the way the bride's going to look, we've got a lot of work to do. And it ain't sitting here saying, Oh, Lord, hurry up and come. Because he's saying, Oh, bride, hurry up and do what I asked you to do. It's a war. C.S. Lewis says one of the things that surprised him when he read the New Testament seriously was how much it talked about a dark power in the universe. And he says, Christianity agrees. We are at war. But some of us are just living every day like, well, whatever happens, happens. Case or That's not what he told you to do. John Elder says, until we realize the war going on around us, we will misinterpret about 90% of what is happening around us and to us. We will even think that bad things that happen are God's will. One day, the lion will lay down with the lamb, but for now, it's bloody battle. Remember Jesus right before, right before the crucifixion, he gets two to go with him and pray. He says, boy, I need you to be diligent here. I need you. Put your heels in. I need you to stay awake and pray with me. Jesus went away, comes back, what they doing? Sleep. Oh, as I really need y'all to stay awake, I really need you to get in. Dig in with me. Come back, what they doing? Sleep. Jesus previously had already said, night is coming when no one can work. So we better be doing what we can do while we're here. So the offer is life, but the answer is, are we going to trust and believe? 
but also are we going to go to war? The war I'm not talking about is picking up your next AK-47 before Biden takes them all away from you. The war I'm talking about is on your knees. See, I love the depiction of being able to go to sleep at night and praying in the lap of my father and praying until I go to sleep. And that's good. I love to do that. But that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about right here. The prayer I'm talking about right now is going in deep. Going in. Pressing in. You ever notice how when Jesus, certain situations happen, remember when John the Baptist, he got the word that John the Baptist was beheaded? That Jesus did. Went to the side of the mountain to pray. You think it bothered him that somebody had just died because of him? That lifestyle of being in the crescent end going to the side of the mountain. Even when 5,000 were saying, we need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. Come do this for me, come do this for me, come do this for me. And they couldn't find him. Pressing in with the Father. Pressing in with the Father. Shortly after that, disciples are out healing and doing all kinds of great miracles and then they bring one to us. So we couldn't do that one. We couldn't heal now the best thing we can learn from that that scripture is that they didn't say, well, it was God's will. They went to him because they already knew God's will and they said, why didn't we see this? That's what you need to learn from that lesson. But notice what he told them. This kind of only comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus didn't turn around spent 24 hours praying and fasting and then go back to the boy and heal him. He said, this kind of comes about praying and fasting. He told the boy to get up walk. What was the implication? Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. He lived a lifestyle pressing in with the Father wanting to know what the Father's heart is. If we're supposed to be praying the prayer, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to be pressing in with the Father on a regular basis to know what's on the Father's heart. A lot of times we just think we know. And when we don't see what the results are in this book, we need to go back and say, what, what am I missing? What am I missing? Show me how we fight this thing out. The offer for you is life. The life of life. But you have a choice. Deuteronomy 30, he told him, he said it up before him, he says, today I offer you life and death, blessing and curses. But you have a choice which one you're going to take. Let's take God, you're so good. So good, so good, so good. So quietly, maybe you never knew that the life offered to you was life and life abundant. And you want to say yes to Jesus today. This is your opportunity to come down and say yes to Him today. And I surrender to that. You can surrender to your fears or you can finally surrender your life to the one who brings life. But there's another opportunity I want to give you in just a moment. And that is for those of you who are struggling.
who may be even blaming God right now over a situation. And you know His promise to you is light, but you're just not seeing it. You want some of us to stand in the gap and pray with you, we will. Whatever it is, be obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit this morning. Just offer that up. Just next couple of minutes. out, but I want you to do one thing as I pray. I'm going to pray for those who, um, who are struggling right now with that. I just feel like I want you to think about something. Daniel he prayed the first time and he got instant results. He prayed the next time he had to press in, press in, press in for seven days. Then he got the answer. And the angel said, I was sent the first day he prayed, but I got held up in the spiritual realm. You don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm. Let me just ask you this. What if you've been praying for six days, but it was a seven-day prayer? And you gave up and said, must be God's will. I'm done. What if Daniel would have done that? some of you, you're pressing in and just not seeing I'm going to stand and believe with you and pray over you. So if that's you as I pray, you can just lift your hand, just receive that. God, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you that the weight of the world was nailed to the cross. We thank you, Father, that you were in Christ reconciling the world back to yourself. that you were bruised for our iniquities. By your stripes we are healed. That bruising 
was blood on the inside for the hurts on our insides. And those stripes you bore on the outside were for the things on our outside. But you bore them all on the cross. We thank you, Father, for the resurrection that because Jesus lives, I live also. Because he walked out of that grave, so do I. And we thank you for the ascension where Christ is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And Paul has said that we are there with Christ at the right hand of the Father even now. Not some wishful thinking in the sweet by and by one day, but that right now our reality is that we are seated in heavenly places with you and we have direct access, direct access to you. That we don't have to wander around in shame. We don't have to wander around in fear. But we have direct access to you. So Father, we lay our burdens down at your feet. And we don't want to pick them up anymore. We just rest in your presence. We rest in knowing that you have us. And that we have you. And we trust you. We surrender our trust to you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.